We're talking networking silicon on today's Heavy Networking with sponsor Juniper Networks. The Trio 6 chipset is coming to market, and you're going to get a hold of it in the Workhorse MX platform. And if you're thinking, networking silicon, it it doesn't matter that much, and so who cares? You are exactly the person that should give this episode a listen. Juniper is making an argument for the right silicon in the right segment. That is, networking ASICs are not one size fits all. Having chatted with Juniper on this topic before recording today, they they make a compelling argument. Our guests are Anna Wilas and Jim Capobianco, both Senior Directors of Product Management at Juniper Networks. And these folks have been around the networking industry for a long time and are ready to get nerdy with us for this hardware-centric conversation. Anna and Jim, welcome to Heavy Networking. Now, Anna, I know before we start talking about ASIC specifics, you wanted to set up some background on the needs that drove the Trio 6 silicon design. And that need seems to focus on this idea of the multi-service edge. Would you tell us about that? From a networking perspective, Anna, what is the multi-service edge all about? Yeah, multi-service edge is a function. Function in the network that uh, is a very specific uh, uh, and uh, does deliver uh, service instantiation for our customers. And uh, this is the function in the network that uh, has constantly uh, went uh, through multiple changes through the evolution of the services that we necessarily didn't know before that were going to happen. And, uh, you know, networks have been constantly challenged for agility, speed, uh, quality, and uh, we have been seeing uh, service evolution from, uh, you know, getting basically video to AR, VR, and now going into 5G. And that, uh, you know, even today we are building networks for 5G and we don't necessarily know what kind of services they are going to bring to the network. So what we are building the uh, multi-service edge for is the agility for the unknown. And uh, we know that multi-service edge is going to, um, what is going to deliver is very high logical scale for uh, services. So uh, that's uh, what we need to be uh, prepared for with the silicon. Our customers are building networks for 10, 15 years. So that silicon for multi-service edge is extremely important. Uh, not only to deliver that high logical scale, but also to deliver the flexibility that is going to carry over those networks for 10, 15 years to come. Now, Ed, I want to go back to something you said in there that caught my attention. You said multi-service edge, not a location, but a function. But yet when we talk about edge computing and edge networking, almost that's almost always been tied to location from a context of I'm trying to put some services closer to the users that are consuming them for latency reasons, let's say. Um, so what are you getting at when you say multi-service edge is, is not a location, but a function? Yeah, so multi-service edge is definitely a function primarily because it instantiates the uh, networking services. And as we move the uh, services, uh, compute services towards the edge, uh, so does move move, uh, the uh, function of uh, multi-service edge, right? Multi-service edge sits between different domains. And as those domains uh, are being pushed closer to the edge, closer to the customer location, so does need uh, uh, multi-service edge. Okay, so we've got a sense what we're talking about with Edge. Um, Let's dive into a little bit more about this notion of multi-services at the Edge. What is it unique about the Edge? Uh, What kind of roles, what kind of capabilities do I need that are different from what I'd expect out of, say, you know, a big giant core router or even an access router? 
Thank you, Drew and, and Ethan, for the opportunity to uh, speak to you both today. Yes, certainly um, there are differences between the operations that are needed in a core router versus an edge router or an access router. Certainly in the multi-service edge types of functions, um, what is unique is because that service has to be instantiated in these devices, they are much more about uh, our, uh, the application of diverse services operations. In the access and the core, it's much more about high-speed uh, packet uh, operations, so packet flow operations, taking the packet in, redirecting it, and pushing it out. Uh, in the services edge, it's much more about the articulation of the service. And bringing that back down to the processing engines that are needed between the edge functions versus a core router function is edge routers need to be much more focused on the ability to um, manage, define, meter uh, actual services. And these services change much more frequently than aspects of a core router or an access router. That is why, quite honestly, Juniper has taken the approach with its architectures for our MX portfolio of using a um, architecture uh, in packet forwarding engines we refer to as TRIO. Uh, and we've recently announced TRIO 6.0. These devices are a uh, multi-core uh, packet focused processing engines. They are highly programmable and highly flexible. Uh, and if you compare that to other architectures, you know, generally architectures of packet forwarding engines used in core routers or even access routers, they use a pipeline type architecture predominantly. Um, and what and Juniper has custom silicon for our MX portfolio, our multi-services portfolio, which I've referred to as TRIO. And quite honestly, we're one of the few, and maybe only um, providers of high-end routers that actually has two separate packet forwarding engine architectures. TRIO is our multi-service, and this is highly flexible and highly scalable, high logical scale. Express is used for our core routers. And that is a pipeline uh, uh, architecture, or at least it's more uh, focused on pipeline type of operations. Jim, let me push back a little bit. When I think of ASICs, what we're talking about here is the TRIO 6 silicon or the ASIC. I don't think about flexibility. So, But you're telling me the way you've architected this chip is for programmability, for flexibility, so that I can you know, support different kinds of services. Yeah, absolutely true. So the, the TRIO ASIC for that flexibility, you know, literally down into the architecture and the implementation of the ASIC chip itself, we actually utilize 160 different packet processing engines. So really cores inside that, that are uh, uh, individual devices, whereas a pipeline architecture doesn't have that. They're not multi-core. So yes, fundamentally, it is a different architecture inside the packet forwarding engine. And that is fully programmable and not just at the packet cores themselves, but also completely flexible memory, all in one chip, fully bi-directional. Why I care about this, Jim, if I'm understanding this is, um, I might need to do all sorts of fancy packet manipulation, depending on what the application is that the customer is consuming as they come into the multi-service edge. Maybe it's tied to MPLS in some way. Maybe there's an end cap that uh, needs to happen. Maybe there's some kind of QoS parameter that's got to be fulfilled uh, to meet the SLA. Maybe there's uh, a security uh, parameter. And you're telling me that the way 
Trio processes these packets on on ingest and, and egress, I suppose. I have a lot of cores that can do a lot for me that compared to a traditional ASIC pipeline architecture, I'm I'm more limited in that capacity. Yeah, but honestly, Ethan, you're <laughs> you're doing my job for me. You're doing a great job of describing exactly how uh, the trio architecture works. It is something that we refer to as a run to completion because you can have multiple paths operating in parallel. We uh, are able to perform many of those fun- not many all the functions you mentioned effectively tied to a specific service in one flow without having to redirect packets back into the processor. This is uh, an attribute of a multi-core that you don't get with a pipeline type of architecture. And you hit it on the head with regards to what's different about a multi-services operation, multi-service router operation that uh, you don't generally need for a core. There's always overlap to some degree, but you can see here where we've absolutely optimized the right architecture for the right job. This is why we have two different packet forwarding engine technologies, Trio and Express. Well, and just to drill into that for a second, in case it's not obvious to someone listening, in the core, what we care about isn't doing fancy packet manipulation because that's already been done when the packet came into the network. By the time it gets to the core, you're just trying to deliver that thing wherever it's going. It's already been adjusted, encapsulated, whatever's been done to it, you just want to now move that thing. And so it's more about um, speed and minimizing latency to get it where it needs to go. And so your argument here then is on the edge, we need one chip in the core uh, and even access layer, we can have a different chip that's, uh, and each of these chips are then specialized for the sorts of functions in the network device that they uh, are placed in. Absolutely true. And you know, having this, uh, the right, silicon for the right job, it quite honestly, this costs more from a development standpoint. Uh, we're, I believe, the only high-end routing vendor that actually has a dual chip strategy. Uh, others try to have one custom ASIC be addressable for both segments in the network, both functions in the network. And by definition, that's a compromise. So absolutely, we're optimized for these two different major operations. So, Jim, um, we're talking about two different sets of silicon here. Are they both running Junos? Because if I'm an operator, that's probably a concern for me. Excellent question. I should stress that. Yes, absolutely positively. Both the Express line of ASICs and Trio line of ASICs run Junos. We are super proud of the fact that, especially in the Trio case, uh, we have unprecedented and industry leadership investment protection because of consistency between generational enhancements of TRIO. But to answer your your question directly, absolutely, Junos runs on both. Jim, one other point of clarification here. I think the word programmable came up in reference to Mm -hmm. uh, TRIO. Uh, What does that mean? Does it imply future-proofing for the next weird protocol the IETF finally blesses and and so on? Is that what we're getting at here? Yeah. um, You're hitting right on the high-level requirements, product requirements that we put into uh, defining our architecture. So because we're aligning a custom silicon processing system for the multi-service operations, and as we've articulated, the services change much more frequently uh, than operations change in the axis of the core. Um, We've decided to implement a packet forwarding engine system that is highly programmable. 
earlier on and made the statement flexibility or agility for the unknown because services do change. We've had multiple situations where we've been able to just reprogram the, the, the firmware in the ASIC to deploy a whole new feature where alternatives in the industry, namely our competitors, had to upgrade processing engines, hardware. So absolutely true. This is by design, highly programmable uh, down to the packet processing cores and fully flexible memory associated with that. So when you say programmable, then are you saying that Juniper can upgrade the capabilities of the Trio with firmware upgrades, or do I as the operator also get to go in there and program the packet processing to fit my use cases? Certainly there's levels of both, but uh, let's just take an example. Um, when SRV6 came out, virtually everyone in the industry had to update their processing engines, especially if you wanted to go more than two layers deep, two levels deep. Mm -hmm. uh, Juniper and this was a, a Juniper firmware update. This was not uh, the, the user. We were able to update the firmware in the trio and we could go to six levels deep uh, in a processing system that was shipping for over four years. None of the competition could do that. So to, to your point, uh, that was firmware. That was something Juniper did. We do have open APIs where a certain levels of this can be done by the actual customer users themselves, but it depends upon uh, to what level uh, of programmability. Sure. But I get, the, I think the message I'm getting is, is that like to Ethan's point, if a new protocol comes out, I can potentially count on a firmware upgrade from Juniper as opposed to having to ditch it and just buy new silicon. Yes, that is absolutely by design what we put into the processing systems. Uh, Anna, I want to switch back to you. I know you know a lot about the guts of uh, the Trio 6 chipset and what's going on here. And I want to understand scale uh, a bit the you know and the context is if we're talking about multi-service edge, one of the use cases is going to certainly going to be lots of different customers that are coming in with their different needs, and maybe I as the network operator need to track all of what's going on with with thousands or potentially tens or hundreds of thousands of customers coming in. So, uh, so talk to me about scale here. Yeah, that's a very good point. Uh, this is another very unique dimension to a multi-service edge is that because the services are instantiated there, it's, uh, you know, every service, every customer and every customer may have multiple services uh, needs to be supported, needs to scale up uh, in that particular silicon. So what does it mean, right? So um, Jim already talked about the packet processing. Every single service instantiation may have different header processing, different lookups, and that's exactly you know what is uh, addressed by the programmability and uh, uh, packet processing engines with run to completion. They may have different encapsulation that we uh, we have to basically treat different forwarding pipelines on per uh, service per customer. Then, uh, you know, you have to think about DSLAs, right? Uh, every service means that uh, it comes with a quality of service and it comes with a contract, right? I have to be able to tell the customer back, you know, what is the number of packets that I processed, that I dropped? All of that requires hundreds of thousands and sometimes millions of counters inside the uh, uh, the silicon. So, and that's what we need to build for. And uh, another part is now on every single service instantiation, you also need security, right? So that means packet filtering. 
all of this just adds on the top of uh, you know each of the service uh, instantiation and uh, requires specific design in the silicon so very large memory you basically need to design for uh, deep buffers a lot of memory, and that memory needs to be actually accessible by any service at any processing time, right? So the PPE has to be able to access the memory banks at basically any times of uh, processing. So this is main difference from, you know, other places or functions in the network where, where you can actually predetermine what needs to be accessed when, and, uh, and you basically don't have the same uh, hundreds of thousands of uh, um, uh, services that uh, the silicon needs to needs to handle so it's definitely a different different uh, you know design principle that you need to implement high logical scale a lot of tunnels uh, high tables uh, fib uh, rib uh, uh, packet buffering header processing so you're tracking a lot over potentially a lot of different customer flows that need to be i presume isolated one from another um, you mentioned, uh, oh, oh, actually, Anna, you mentioned deep buffers. Can we have a fight, Anna? I want to fight about deep buffers. Uh, do, <laughs> I, do we, do we really need deep buffers here? If you're bragging about that as a feature, explain the use case where deep buffers matters on this chipset particularly. Yeah. In, in particularly when we talk about the service uh, delineation and the service uh, instantiation, we are potentially talking about uh, a lot of mismatch in terms of speed, right? So we can come from uh, one network where uh, on the core, we have uh, hundreds uh, or 400 uh, GBPS, and we are going to push that packet burst into a pseudo wire, EVPN pseudo wire that may be, you know, running off uh, at a couple of uh, hundreds of megs. So absolutely, the buffers are key in that function. I get what you're saying because it's, the speed mismatch means you can have a flood of traffic that comes in on that fast interface that's got to queue up before it can be delivered on the slower speed interface, which exactly not a problem for you know TCP that it's going to adjust and all of that. But you've got to catch those packets. We're not talking about having them sitting in a buffer for a ridiculous amount of time. The buffer blow problem. We're talking about. Uh, a carrier class device that's got to be able to handle going from high speed to low speed all over the place. Exactly. And basically moving the traffic from uh, highly aggregated core into per SLA tunnel. Would it be helpful to kind of walk through uh, an example? Of, we've been using the term services a lot, maybe sort of walk through an example of the services you mean and how you, know, you would differentiate Trio compared to your standard merchant silicon in terms of what you can do? Yeah, so uh, especially coexistence, right? So um, services evolved a lot, right? In the past, we were talking about uh, just layer two VLAN. Now we can talk about uh, uh, EVPN, uh, EVPN point-to-point pseudo wires. We can talk about EVPN multipoint. And each of these uh, service endpoints uh, has uh, may, may have uh, different encapsulations, right? Again, mm-hmm. so, uh, and different uh, security types uh, applied. So uh, the difference is really in putting it all together, right? Where, um, you know, pipeline uh, can certainly implement one or two, you know, types of, uh, well, maybe multiple uh, types of uh, encapsulations that are similar, that are repeatable versus Mm -hmm. on a multiple service edge, we would have those combinations of the services with different encapsulations all treated in parallel. 
Got it. Okay. So I'm getting that parallel instead of having to go through a process and then maybe come out the other end and go through a second process again in that pipeline fashion. Yeah, that would be a recirculation operation in a traditional pipeline architecture. You'd have to recirculate back in, which obviously adds latency uh, and brings down your efficiency considerably. Right, right. right. Anna, you had also mentioned um, uh, counters and telemetry as part of the chip package here. What does that actually mean in the TRIO world? What are my what are the limitations that I'm uh, facing with that if I've got a large scale, large number of counters and objects that I might want to be tracking? Yeah, again, so exactly. So you need a very high amount of uh, uh, memory that is built into uh, the package and uh, you need it on the package, right? So that that, that is uh, uh, accessible at very high speed and that it is accessible at any part of the packet processing so that you can uh, basically account for any actions that happen throughout the packet processing. For example, you know, for customers, it's going to be very important to know what kind of security has been uh, uh, applied on the packet and uh, did my packet got dropped, for example, because of the uh, filtering, right, that uh, I have applied. So again, massive amount of memory and uh, the memory needs... uh, Uniquely is uniquely structured in Trio that it is accessible to any packet processing engine at any stage of packet processing. So we can account for any actions that is taken on this uh, uh, on the packet and basically provide the full statistics to customers, whether it's for billing or security purposes. I think we get the context here of what we can do with this chip. Um, well, at least we're getting it from the the nuts and bolts engineering level because we're we're engineers and that's how we think. Uh, but talk to us about uh, maybe at a functional level more the things that um, that are required for a multi service edge solution. I, I maybe we're talking more the business level things that are enabled if I'm putting the Trio six chipset in place at the multi service edge. Yeah. So effectively, you know, uh, the chipset is the foundation. But uh, of course, it needs the entire ecosystem, right? And uh, it doesn't run on its own. It runs inside a router. So, uh, you know, we've been building routers for years. And, you know, that's uh, uh, with the architectures that basically deliver modularity, uh, resiliency. But then when you look at the higher level, the value of building the entire ecosystem is basically that you place this multi-service edge inside a network architecture. And this is also where one Junos, you know, comes into place because uh, when we design silicon and we design it to support the technologies that deliver end-to-end services. And uh, so what does it mean? It means uh, underlay technology that may be, you know, MPLS, that may be uh, segment routing, that may be SRV6. uh, And then we design the uh, services that are overlaid on the top of those transport technologies. And again, it can be EVPN, it can be layer 3 VPN, uh, you know, VXLAN, multiple technologies there. All of this is packaged inside Junos to basically deliver that end-to-end customer experience and what is also critical is automation, right? The services, uh, you know, need to be instantiated in a way that uh, allows a service provider to scale and to deploy them in the agile fashion. And this is where um, uh, Juniper Paragon portfolio comes into play to basically deploy end-to-end services to uh, gather telemetry at scale and uh, basically give the uh, critical KPIs 
for uh, services and for the devices uh, for end-to-end uh, deployment. Yeah, it's funny, Annie, you go back uh, 10 years ago, let's say, you could still type in uh, a fairly complex configuration to deliver whatever the service was that you needed to deliver. And it's just gotten to the point now, you know, you're rattling off several different services there, layer three VPN and SRV6 and, you know, and on and on and on. I would not want to be sitting there and having to get all of that right in the command line and then troubleshoot it and then add to the network and all the rest. It, my, my point being automation is you don't build out a network like this with that sort of functionality without that. And therefore the ease with which you can automate whatever the services, whatever the services that you are delivering on top of that network becomes absolutely critical. Good interfaces, good APIs, good tooling that is perhaps provided. So you don't even have to think about the underlying uh, connectivity uh, to the, uh, to the management plane. Uh, that, that all matters a lot. It does, uh, effectively. You know, with CLI, I don't think we could deploy, you know, the amount of services in the time that uh, we can deploy with automation. And, uh, you know, the other part, interesting part of automation is that it actually allows us to pass the knowledge to our customers, right? Especially when we are talking about telemetry, right? We know as uh, Juniper, as uh, the vendor who is de developing those ASICs, we know what telemetry sensors to listen to, right, for the particular symptoms uh, in the network. And, uh, and that's what we are building into our products, right, uh, where uh, customers can use the playbooks to basically monitor uh, different uh, areas of uh, networking. But it's uh, absolutely right, you know, the automation allows customers to focus on their business problems as opposed to becoming networking geeks, which we all are and like, <laughs> but there are, there are, uh, there are, there are business uh, goals, right? That are important for our customers. And uh, our, our goal is to support that. So speaking of the, the telemetry you're able to deliver, um, where is that going? Is there a Juniper software I can use to, you know, collect, aggregate and, and surface up information? Or am I just sort of throwing it into whatever I can come up with on my own, some open source tools to, to parse it out? Yeah, you can do both. We are using standard interfaces so they can be uh, collected. Uh, from our perspective, what we are uh, providing for high-scale telemetry uh, collector uh, collection is uh, uh, Paragon Insights. And it's exactly designed to gather telemetry at scale with the playbooks designed for different places uh, in the network, whether it's device monitoring or uh, subscriber services monitoring and uh, provide you a specific uh, set of uh, uh, sensors and KPIs. Uh, it's also, you know, kind of crowdsourced, the tool that is also built for crowdsourced uh, contribution because basically playbooks can be uh, posted by anybody on GitHub. So we provide mm. our own playbooks for telemetry, but the open community can contribute as well. Is there something in the Trio chipset or maybe just Juniper hardware broadly that helps me with things like uh, supply chain attacks where I know that when that box is uh, getting a service stood up on it, that that service is, is secure. There's not something going on where um, that service that's being instantiated could be compromised in some way. Yes, so we are actually building the TPM, which is a trusted platform module technology mm -hmm. into our systems, which effectively allow to uniquely identify the elements or the uh, hardware shipped from Juniper as the device that has shipped from our factory. Can I just add one or one other point there. Um, certainly there are 
operations inside the TRIO ASIC, as well as uh, in Junos to work with our routers. Um, and this goes across all the routers, but uh, to make sure that our platforms uh, are DDoS protected. So I'm not talking about DDoS network level, um, which we also do, and we certainly we can talk to Juniper has solutions there, but there are attributes uh, down in the TRIO ASIC as, uh, as well as in the MX platforms that protect it from being uh, DDoSed, which means that box itself getting under a DDoS attack. Hmm. So those attributes are part of Junos, and those some of those operations are literally built into the uh, tree. You mentioned automation. Um, are we talking about, you know, I can put together some scripts to do some things on my own, or is there also a larger platform if I want to do some software-defined networking or some orchestration across multiple devices or services? There are both, right? Like you can definitely write Python scripts. Uh, to, we uh, Paragon Automation uh, provides the entire uh, suite of tools uh, that is uh, providing uh, automation services from provisioning to uh, telemetry to service assurance uh, and uh, including planning and uh, network optimization. Oh, here, you know, here's a question. It just struck me. You're talking about Trio 6. That's what we've spent most of our time on this episode discussing is this chipset. Can I even get it with, with everything that's going on with chip supply problems in the world and such? Is Trio 6 even available at this point? So thank you for asking the question. And uh, it's, unfortunately, we all have to giggle a little bit on that, but uh, absolutely. So um, when we announced the TRIO 6 uh, and in conjunction, we want to make sure that folks realize uh, while TRIO is the ASIC being used and the technology being used for our multi-services, we also have another custom ASIC line for uh, our core routers, which is Express. But to answer your question directly, yes, uh, the TRIO 6 is shipping today um, in actually the uh, what's called the LC9600, which is the newest high-performance line card in Juniper's MX10,000 modular platforms. Uh, that is the uh, MX10K8, so 10,008. Um, in conjunction with the launch of the ASIC and that new line card, we also announced uh, a new version of the MX10K modular uh, platform. Uh, it's a 10,004, a, a smaller form factor. Uh, we are seeing in the industry uh, a large focus on higher density, small platforms for a couple of different reasons. But um, as we mentioned, multi-services is not a location in the network. It, it is a function. So we're seeing these platforms being distributed out in many more places. So hence the need for smaller platforms, so smaller chassis like the MX10K4 that we recently announced and will be uh, uh, orderable and shippable very soon. Uh, and a brand new one also in an MX304. This is a 2RU uh, platform, again, that uses the TRIO 6. Uh, uh, so it's a multi-service edge MX platform, uh, this agility for the unknown. Uh, it has up to 4.8 terabits capacity in a 2RU platform. Uh, to my knowledge, for a multi-services operations, this is the highest density I've seen in the industry. Yes, Juniper itself has higher density core type of platforms, but for a multi-services, uh, this, this raises the bar. So we're very proud to, to offer these three new products. 
Jim, if I have a, a 10K8 chassis, is it literally pull out a line card, slide in the new line card that's got Trio 6 on it? Or do I need to be concerned about also potentially swapping? I don't know. I'm not familiar with that chassis altogether, but let's say things like power supplies and fabric cards and um, you know, supervisor engines and so on. Yep. No, it's an excellent question because there, there are obviously physical realities. Um, the, the LC9600 is a 9.6 terabit card. So this is optimized for high density, 100 gig and uh, 400 gig. Uh, and you know, what does this mean to your question? This means that obviously at this performance level, uh, you need a switch fabric that can accommodate it. Uh, and we are shipping obviously that switch fabric. If you are, uh, 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 have an existing MX10K8 running the traditional line cards in it. Yes, uh, to deploy the new high-speed line card, you would have to uh, upgrade to the newest uh, switch fabric modules. Uh, that's it. The power supplies and the routing engines and the fan trays all work with a new line card. So those existing operate uh, common equipment pieces work uh, uh, with the new line card. So it's just the switch fabric that would have to be upgraded. So Ethan mentioned, uh, you know, issues around constraints in the silicon supply chain. We're also getting uh, more of a feeling that power consumption is going to be an increasingly pressing issue, particularly on the service provider and, and cloud provider side. Um, have you done anything in terms of the silicon design to around power consumption? The direct answer is yes, absolutely. Um, we're very proud of the fact that with the Trio 6, we were able to take uh, advantage of a seven, seven nanometer uh, manufacturing technology. And, and by itself, that is extremely efficient type of technology. Um, the Trio chip does operate fully bi-directionally as well. Other, and the reason why I bring this up in the context of power efficiency is uh, the, the power metrics that we give you, which is... Um, 0.09 watts per gigabit is uh, through the ASIC itself. Um, that is bi-directional, so you only need one chip to do that. Uh, the reason why I stress this is some others in the industry, they talk about the power efficiency of their ASIC, but you need two ASICs to do full bi-directional. Right? Uh, the mm -hmm. one other point I want to make, because I did mention about the, the MX uh, platforms, um, as we start adding more and more capabilities and, and performance to line cards, like I mentioned, the 9.2 terabit uh, line card that's new uh, using the Trio 6.0. Um, one of the unique characteristics of and, and why the MX 10K8 and 10K4 um, uh, are in the market is because we have moved to a, uh, a physical architecture of those platforms to have no backplane or no midplane. So as you're alluding to, power is, is uh, an issue and cooling that power, even with the most efficient uh, technologies like seven nanometer, uh, you still have to cool it. Mm -hmm. So this physical architecture of our chassis allow us, allows us much more efficient cooling operations. Well, Jim, are these routers in the wild? Have you had much um, customer penetration with this thing? And, and if so, did, tell us a story, man. What are they, <laughs> what are they doing with this thing? Um, yeah, we're very lucky with the MX portfolio, uh, which is a franchise product line. Uh, when I say franchise product line, what do I mean by that? It means it's very widely deployed and the product uh, has been shipping for well over 10 years. Uh, the brand is very well known uh, and we are on our sixth evolutionary generation of the product. Uh, so 
as you can expect, it's widely deployed. So what are some examples of those? So that's the, the product line overall and the MX10K uh, that uh, utilizes the Trio 6 has been shipping for a few years and it's widely deployed in both service provider and enterprise applications. Uh, examples of customers, right? Certainly we have very high-end service providers. Uh, one uh, interesting new deployment for the, the MX series uh, is um, Amsterdam Internet Exchange, one of the largest internet exchanges in Europe, all of Europe. Um, because of the diversity and the scale, and quite honestly, they're very concerned about power efficiency, uh, they uh, choose the MX portfolio. Other customers uh, in the enterprise space, as you would expect, financial services, banking, et cetera. Also, a lot of energy companies uh, are deploying MX and with enterprises, one of the things they like is because the MX is a franchise product, large platforms and, and small platforms, they like to focus on just one product line and learn that one product line and they can use it everywhere. Mm -hmm. So this is another benefit you get with uh, uh, the MX portfolio. So very widely deployed, uh, a multitude of customer situations, including cloud providers. So we're quite honestly, very proud of the fact that the MX is, is very successful and we're continuing to invest in new technology and, and, and new capabilities for the system. And that's why we spend the extra money on our R&D for custom silicon for the multi-service technologies. And that's what the TRIO 6 is all about. Well, Jim and Anna, this has been a fun conversation. I, I do love talking about the uh, the nerdy chip stuff, what's going on under the hood with the silicon and packet forwarding and fancy packet manipulation. It's all, it's all fun. So uh, Jim, you have any parting thoughts for us as we wrap the show up? You bet, Ethan. We also like talking about the, the bits and bytes, as you would expect. Parting thoughts with regards to the demand in the industry. Quite honestly, a lot of dynamics are happening uh, in the industry, uh, in the multi-service edge. We are seeing very strong demand for the new products. I would say, especially in the smaller chassis, the MX304 that I briefly mentioned is um, uh, very applicable to enterprise customers as well as even cloud providers as this move to high density, small platforms, smaller blast radius uh, is talked about quite a bit in the industry. Um, other than that, uh, you know, please, uh, anyone in your listeners community, uh, we invite you to, to go to Juniper's MX landing page uh, on our website uh, to find out any more about these products, as well as there's directions to the ASIC technology itself. Well, again, thanks, Jim and, uh, and Anna for being on the show today. And if you're listening and want to dig in more, again, juniper.net, and it's very easy to click around and just look for the MX series and you can find all kinds of additional information. Juniper is really great about that if you want to dig in and find out what's going on in these boxes even more deeply than we talked about on this show. And our thanks to Juniper Networks for sponsoring today's episode of Heavy Networking. We hope you learned something valuable. If you ring up Juniper reps and you want to ask them about the new MX gear with the Trio 6 inside, would you tell them you heard about it on the Packet Pushers Podcast Network? We, we would really appreciate that. And if you'd like even more podcasts, blogs, newsletters designed for your professional career development in IT, because that's what we do around here, visit the subscribe page at packetpushers.net. We have a wealth of free information, and we respect your privacy, by the way. There's no reg walls. There's no paywalls. We're not tracking cookies. None of that stuff. 
Just find what you want and then consume it at your convenience. Last but not least, remember that too much networking would never be enough.